0: Improv teams have to create something uh, on the spur of the moment that they have to lean into uncertainty, build something that is going to please an audience, um, a a customer, basically, uh, on the spur of the moment. And they have to do that. They have to be really effective together in order to make that, in order to accomplish that.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organizations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I had the pleasure of Melissa uh, Dinwiddie. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon to you, Melissa.
0: Well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening to you.
1: (laughs) Yes, that wonderful time distance we have, but the fact that we can do this live and we can do this um, all the way around the world, it's fantastic. I'm just going to introduce you to the audience so they know who you are and what you're about. Uh, You are known as a creative instigator. Uh, You teach people to turn your creative taps on so you can live the kind of full-color life you long for. And you help innovative companies grow sales and retain customers and talent with creative learning experiences. Uh, You're also the author of The Creative Sandbox Way Your Path to a Full Color Life. And I think we're going to have lots of color in this conversation. And we are going to be exploring how to use improv for leadership and resilience in an organization. But before we get there, Melissa, uh, what do you love about what you do?
0: I love that question. So yes, I work with innovative people first organizations. And typically, um, they're, you know, wrestling with some kind of challenges that are often often come uh, along with rapid growth. And, and, and I love coming into an organization and, and, you know, talking on, you know, on a sales call, I'll be talking with them and, and they'll be sharing their challenges with me. And instantly my head is spinning about what are the what are the activities that I can use to help solve their problems. So that's the first thing that I love is designing experiences using play-based activities that's real that are really gonna create transformation for a team or an organization. And then I love Going in, I love holding space, creating experiences, um, being the 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 person at, at the you know facilitating the experience and and watching as light bulbs go off over people's heads and uh you know running that experience and 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 also I love when I'm in the middle of an experience and often I will uh, see people sort of looking at me funny, like, why are why are we playing this game? What does this have to do with anything? And then seeing them start to get it. And as they connect the dots between the, the, the game, the activity that we just did, that seems like it has nothing to do with anything. And they're having a lot of fun maybe doing this doing this activity, and then they connect the dots between what this, this random semi activity, you know, that they just did what that has to do with, you know, leadership or, you know, communication or, or whatever the, the theme is and the insights start firing and they learn so much and they build these muscles. And, and then, and then what I love is the long-term transformation hearing back from my clients and and observing the changes that happen over time. And that's just so incredibly rewarding. So those are some of the things that I love about what I do.
1: Just some of the things, there's a long list there, Melissa, <laughs> of the things you love doing, clearly. If I would ask what are the long lists, who knows what you've come up with, but that, that's brilliant. It's great. You love what you do. You're very passionate about it. When did you discover and realize that this is what you love? When was that? was there a, was there a moment or did it just sort of gradually sort of happen
0: you know it it's been such a long journey to get to where i am now <laughs> i i did not you know when i was a kid nobody said hey melissa what do you want to be when you grow up and oh i want to be a facilitator no i uh, you know when i was a kid i wanted to be a veterinarian and then i ended up sort of falling into becoming an artist and I was an artist for 15 years, Julian, and um, I, I kind of backed into this career. So um, I, I actually, it was when I was leading creativity retreats for creatives. And I realized that that really is my genius zone is being with groups of people and holding space. And I thought to myself, just over years of leading these creativity retreats, and I was, um, it was it was one of these mornings when I, I I lead these creativity retreats, and and every morning after breakfast, I hold what I call creative catalyzing sessions, where I'm basically leading a half an hour of improv activities to get people out of their heads and into their bodies, so that they can send those negative. Self-critical, self-doubt voices, the, the gremlins in their head, send them off so that they can get down to the creative work that they have come to the retreat to do. And uh and I was realizing, you know, if I if I were doing work with a with a with a business team, this is exactly the same thing that I would be doing, except that I would be leading a debrief after doing the games. It wouldn't just be game after game after game after game, it would be game. Debrief game. Debrief game. Debrief. I'm really good at this. Why don't I pivot to do that? Because at the time, I w- I had an, an online business where I was doing a lot of um, online courses, which is not actually my genius zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Developing online courses. My genius zone is actually being in you know holding space, designing experiences, whether they're virtual or in-person, creating transformational experiences and programs over a span of time with people. So that's kind of the what led to me starting my consultancy.
1: Okay. So we're talking about improv and using it in the context of leadership. <clears throat> now, improv to me slightly scares me and um you know you see these programs that do improv and some very you know music t- comedians do it and they're very good at it's that's improvisation and so what do you determine what, what is improv for you in your context of business and the context of how you run things just so we can sort of get people to understand and frame it for them uh, and yeah. then some examples of that i guess of what, what that might be
0: yeah so well first of all julian you are not alone it, most people, when they think of improv, they will think of like TV shows, like whose line is it anyway, mm-hmm. or, um, uh, curb your enthusiasm or something like that, where, you know, these are like professionals who've been doing it for, you know, decades and they're hysterically funny and they're so good at what they do. Right. And they, and And it's very easy to think, oh my God, improv means I have to be amazing and I have to be uh, amazingly funny, right? And that's very intimidating. But what we are doing right this moment is improv. I mean, do you have a script, Julian?
1: I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: I don't have a script either. You and I are improvising right now. And everything we do For the most part, every day is improv. And so, what the best teams and leaders learn to do is to build up the skills of being able to improvise more effectively. Mm -hmm. And so, the best improv teams that we see on television or on stage or whatever, the reason they're so good is that they have developed those skills over time. They've flexed those skills. They've learned how to use those skills more effectively. And so we can do that too. And so I bring the skills that those, you know, whose line is it anyway, folks have developed, I can bring those same tools to leaders and teams. And some of those tools are, you know, like listening, having your partners back, the ability to to accept ideas that other people present to you, accept offers and build on them, that's often given the shorthand of yes and. You may have heard that term before, that phrase before. Those kinds of um, principles, those are improv principles. And when we really practice those principles, we develop better teams. We develop better leadership skills. That's why improv teams are some of the best teams around, because they really practice those those principles and practice those skills.
1: Yeah. And so give me a, a – obviously you talked about the the, the yes and, and as an example. Is there another example that you might use in one of your workshops, but also why building um, improv within your leadership, within your teams – makes them i guess more successful more more sort of productive or there's obviously a lot of things that come through it so why does that happen by building improv
0: why why does it building improv make for better teams yeah yeah well if you think about um improv teams have to create something uh on the spur of the moment that it, it, they have to lean into uncertainty, build something f- that is going to please an audience, um, a, a customer, basically, uh, on the spur of the moment. And they have to do that. They have to be really effective together in order to make that, in order to accomplish that, which is this, essentially the same thing that any high performing business team is going to have to do as well. So they're practicing the same skills that any high performing business team has to do. And in order to accomplish that, they have to listen to each other really well. They have to collaborate really well. They have to have each other's backs. They have to support each other really well. They have to make each other look good. That's, that's an improv principle right there. Make your partner look amazing. Everybody okay. Knows.
1: Okay. So it's not about obviously the who line is anyway, which is obviously, that's all about playing to each other's strengths and building upon each other, I guess. That's the whole essence of how it works, isn't it? And I guess it's that principle, isn't it, of not trying to pull somebody down, but actually trying to help them, them to help you, I guess, is that how it's sort of the principle works?
0: Absolutely. If you're on stage, if you've got a, a team of improvisers who are on stage together and you're trying to pull each other down, the whole thing's going to fall apart. But if you're actively working to make your partner look good, make your scene partner look good, everything's just going to continue to get better and better and better. And imagine if all the business teams out there were doing the same thing. If you were thinking about how can I make Julian look good? And if you, if Julian's thinking, how can I make Melissa look good? Then the team is going to continually shine.
1: So how do you do that in a a workshop then? I mean, obviously, do you actually play out almost a stage environment where people do this in small groups and try to work. I mean, how does that play out?
0: Yeah. So it starts even before we get to the like scenes and, you know, thinking about throwing people up on stage, it starts even like in smaller, tinier doses than that tiny little activities. Like if you're in person all standing in a circle and throwing you know, balls of energy back and forth. Like, Julian, I'm going to throw this ball to you and I'm going to make a sound and a gesture and you are going to mimic the sound and gesture that I make. So I might go, woo! And you catch it with the same sound and gesture. So you would catch it by going, woo! And then you would throw a new sound and gesture to somebody else in the circle spontaneously without thinking. So you might go, Bleh! And the next person on the other side that you throw it to, and they would catch it by, it, you can't do this on virtual. And virtual, you would have to call their name. But mm-hmm. when you're standing all around in a circle, you can just use eye contact for this. You would just give somebody eye contact. So it might be, you know, Emily on the other side of the circle, you would get just give her their, your eye contact. And you might just go, you know, swink. And Emily would go zoink to catch the the energy. And then Emily would go Rawr, to you know George on the other side. And then George would go Rawr, and that ball of energy just goes around and around and around. I, and around. I can
1: imagine that's that's quite um hilarious and, and funny as well. Cause to me, I'm already smiling by you doing it. I was thinking actually, there's so much humor in that, and people getting it wrong or mishearing yeah. something, or it, just obviously the, the fun of that as well comes into it, but also. It feels to me there's a you're almost creating some sense of vulnerability as well within that, absolutely. Context, yeah, which I guess I mean, do you find at the start of the session everybody's a little bit sort of rigid and slightly awkward, depending on the team? I guess, and then it starts to loosen as people start to realize we're all doing this and we're all looking silly and stupid, but it doesn't matter, it's all fun. Does that sort of happen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it does definitely depend on the group and the culture within the group, but that is a, a really big part of it is people allowing themselves to be vulnerable with each other. And that's mm. a, you know, that's a really big part of team connection and, you know, the bonding, the, the belonging signals and the bonding signals that, that, you know, are really important mm. with any team
1: because it, it's it's psychological safety, isn't it? So that's where yeah. vulnerability is sort of rewarded, isn't it? It creates that sense of I can do something slightly out of my side. comfort zone. They're not going to laugh at me. They're going to support me. They're going to be there. And I'm going to do something a bit crazy here. And, and it's going to be okay. I feel safe here. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, you know, w- we start with things that are less... Um, intimidating and easier for people to step into. I, I wouldn't start them with something that requires, you know, huge vulnerability right off the bat. And then, you know, we ramp up the vulnerability as we go.
1: So you obviously, it's interesting. You already mentioned things like, you know, it creates connection. Um, you have people's backs, you support each other. You're almost cheering each other on you're listening, there's lots of listening going on here because obviously if you're improv in the context of a stage event, you've got to listen to the person to know what to say next and to build upon what they're saying, isn't it? So there's some real, lots of skills going on here, isn't there, in terms of development. It's not just about people thinking fast on their feet because it's, it's far more than that, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And the listening, it's really interesting. And, and if you think about an improv scene, it Listening actually encompasses so much more than just listening with your ears. It's really listening and awareness because anything that happens on stage is, or even in the audience, anything that happens in in the room is, it just happened, right? The audience is aware that it just happened. So you need to take that into consideration and you can't just ignore that it happened. So, for example, if you're on stage and your scene partner says something, you need to be aware of it. You need to take that into consideration. If your scene partner says something and then moves in a certain way, you need to be aware of that. If your scene partner says something and then somebody else walks on stage behind you, they may not have said something, but you need to be aware of that. Maybe that changes the meaning of what's happening on stage. If somebody in the audience coughs, maybe that is something that you're going to bring into the scene in some way. That, you know, all of these things just happened, you don't need to ignore them. And it's the same thing with, you know, whatever's happening in your in your business team listening is so incredibly important hmm. so it's it's all you know listening and awareness um and so we, you know there are lots of exercises that we do that we can do that i have in my you know in my tool bag around around listening and paying attention listening and awareness
1: and it it seems to me and and we've touched on it before that that there's a lot of fun that goes with this as well and which is obviously um what you seem to like and and it obviously breaks down barriers but also it's using that play and i just want you to sort of uh, and sort of talk about what why play is really important in that work context and obviously you're working with business teams why does play play a role in helping that and developing teams and creating the right environment for people?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, play is one of the most important ways that humans learn. And we know from scientific studies that play is how children learn. And here's the thing, that doesn't stop at puberty. Play is how humans learn. It's how we continue to learn all through our lives. And for some reason, maybe because of the Puritan work ethic over here in the States, or I don't know what, we have somehow associated play with, you know, frivolity, and there's this separation between work and play. And I am a strong advocate for that is ridiculous. Play is not the opposite of work. Play is actually how we make work more effective. And if you think about it, what are the things, like when, if you go back, your memories from school, the things that you remember the most, the things that the most memorable moments from when you were in school are not the boring things. (laughs) They're the you know the fun things or the the most emotionally you know um the moments that have the most emotional power right so when we can make our learning moments fun engaging emotionally impactful that's what those are the moments that are going to be sticky that's the learning that's going to be the most sticky so it only makes it only makes sense to make our, our trainings, our, you know, any kind of learning and development to bring play into it is, It only makes sense. So it's the reason that I bring play into the work that I do is because it, it has better results.
1: So are you just thinking is play just used as a facilitator for you in the context of training? Or can play play a role in all our business activities, and how how does that work if it is part of that?
0: Well, I'm a big advocate for bringing play in wherever possible. So, I I well, I use play uh, as every time you know. However, I work with my clients, I try to make everything as play based as possible. And also, you know, I, I advocate, look at your, look at your business, look at whatever it is that you're doing and how can you design it to be more playful?
1: Okay. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? How to sort of create that playfulness, but also this, obviously the sometimes on the business seriousness in terms of how you deal with clients and, the topics you might be talking about is how you incorporate I get it in the context of training and, you know, I've been in many training contexts where they've tried to use games and fun things to try and create, I guess, the sticky learning mindsets and sort of meaningful and things that will um, be enjoyable as well. But trying to put that into a work without making everything all jokey and fun, which feels a bit sometimes inappropriate can be quite a challenge, can't it?
0: Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a different way of thinking about it because it's not the way that I look at it. It's not like, let's make everything jokey and fun, but you know, how can we design it so that it's um, it's play to you. So uh, Dr. Stuart Brown wrote a fabulous book called play and he talks about the eight different play personalities And what's play to you might not be play to me. So for example, for some people, collecting is play. And for some people, movement, different kinds of movement is play. And for some people, like I'm what he would call the art, I think he calls it the artist. And for me, like any kind of making things, I like to paint, I like to draw, I like to make music. For me, that's play. For other people, competition is play. So how Mm. can you design for you what your play personality is? How can you design, you know, more of that into your, you know, your life, your business, Mm. and it's going to be different for different people. Like I like competition for me doesn't feel playful, but for my nephew, Oh my God, he loves to compete. He wants every game. He he wants to make it competitive. I don't like that, but he loves it. So, it, you know, all of those things come into play. See how I did that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is just not about. Obviously, we we talk to play in the context of, of learning. This is about playing every day to make it you be more effective, more impactful. The fact that your your nephew likes competition and that in some contexts some people competition will really help them drive sales or go and hit the target all that sort of stuff or competing with other people in the company in, in and in obviously a healthy way um but then other people like yourself who at least needs to be more have time to be more creative and use like as you say drawing and various other factors and that aids you in how you operate and makes you more productive is there some science behind that as well in terms of why playing helps you in that way
0: um you know the i don't know so much about the science but i know um dr Stuart brown has these play personalities and i'd have to go back and look at his book in terms of the you know his scientific research around it um yeah i can't speak to that but but i think that if you if you want to bring i think it's something that you can leverage Mm -hmm. in terms of you know it's it is individual and you know everybody has certain play personalities that they feel more resonance around so yeah it's something worth worth looking at
1: yeah because i i think i've read that people who like just playing in the sea just going in the sea with some friends and just jumping about um which is just almost there's no real um point to it but it's just been playful or hitting a ball together and it apparently makes you really incredibly in the moment and very much more mindful. Uh, and we know by doing that, it, it connects more the, the prefrontal cortex, which is starts to create that sort of you know, logic brain and creativity and everything else that comes from that. And I think it's really helpful. And obviously most people who've been playing around come back refreshed in that context, as in they think, oh, I feel completely because I've sort of lost myself a little bit in the moment, in fact, probably in the moment more than any any time. I think there's real sort of value in it. It's trying to get people into that place, whatever it might be, using their personality, that can really help them become more mindful in a way that's not just sitting there meditating and yoga, which is obviously another way of doing it, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, and I do know that there have been st- scientific studies done around the benefits of... Uh, there was a scientific study that looked at how to improve your willpower and your patience and your focus. And it, it showed that one of the best ways to do that is to get yourself into a state of flow to, you know, anything that, that gets you, um, that engages your interest. So for, you know, which can be different for different people, right? So that might be mountain biking. It could be drawing or painting. It could be, um, you know, jumping about in in the sea, right? Anything that helps you lose yourself Mm -hmm. and get into that state of flow and get anything that engages your interest, whatever that might be, actually gives energy back to your brain. Mm -hmm. So Those things are often things that we think of as frivolous, right? And Mm. unimportant that they're time wasters. In fact, you're giving energy back to your brain and it is Mm. never a waste of time to restore energy to your brain. So this was really huge when I learned this. Mm. This is science. This is science that proves that you are restoring energy to your brain when you are doing something that engages your interest and puts you in a state of flow. So when you start to feel guilty that you are wasting time doing that thing that you love to do, but you don't let yourself do because it's a time waster, remember that it's actually restoring energy to your brain.
1: Yeah, I I, I think we need more of that because I think we get caught up with all about doing stuff aren't we and being productive yeah. and efficient and actually it's important to just be <laughs> just enjoy the moment to give that restorative effect on our brains uh, and actually become become more productive more impactful more creative in in our jobs and we enjoy it as well and that's really important isn't it in creating that engagement within your uh, your business what are the obstacles that you perceive have you faced when you go into a company, who wants to engage in the whole play or improv, what, what are the sort of obstacles that get in the way of it sort of happening and being used in a way that's, uh, to make it more powerful, what, what sort of stops them or holds them back?
0: Uh, you know, the biggest obstacle that I face honestly is companies not willing to make time. Hmm. That's the biggest yeah. challenge. Um, you know, transformation takes time. And I can come in and I can do a, you know, an hour session, a 90 minute session. That's great. You know, they'll they'll have some impact from that. Mm-hmm. But the the most impact is going to be when I do a program, you know, and spend a year with you. And that's that's gonna be <laughs> That's gonna be the best bang for your buck. And getting companies to really make the investment for that kind of thing is is always a challenge, you know.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the short termism, isn't it? The something we we pay for something, intervention and we want a result within the next few months. And that's how they sort of live by the quarter. And actually we need to think a bit more the longer term, as you say. Uh, right. I, I have similar challenges as well in terms of working with businesses you know you come in and they expect a few sessions and then things to be completely overnight success it doesn't quite work like that things take time right. to set in, and cultures and behaviors it takes time to build and new habits and everything else um it's fascinating conversation melissa and understand more about play improv uh, i hope we've um improved enough uh and on this conversation <laughs> and um if people want to connect with you get in touch with you uh what's the best way of doing that
0: Well, I, I post a lot on LinkedIn, so that's always a good place to find me. I'm at Melissa Dinwiddie there, and my website is creativesandbox.solutions.
1: Excellent. Well, really, thank you for your time today, Melissa.
0: Thanks so much, Julian. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at JulianRobertsConsulting.com.